Thank you, Suki, for that ministry and music. Good morning. If you would, please take out your insert. If you would like to use that as your Bible for this morning, that's perfectly acceptable. We'll do that. And actually, it might come in handy for the beginning of this message because I'd like you to turn open to two other passages. So we're going to be really doing some acrobatics here in, in our Bibles. Keep this handy. We're going to be going through this passage. But while you are holding on to that, I'd like you to turn open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. At least starting in verse 10. So see how well you can follow all this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. And then if you have a pen or if you have like another piece of paper, maybe your bulletin, hold that page and find Psalm 106. Okay, so... We've got this, our main passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then Psalm 106. Maybe sometime I'll try and test the limits of that, how far we can go. And then take your index finger, and then your pinky finger, and your, your earlobe, and we can do a little game of twister here, trying to get all of our fingers, and then I'll just go through each one. Now, um, maybe that'd be a good April 1st, uh, you know, scripture passage to read from, I don't know. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalm 106, and of course, Psalm 136. I'll get to those in just a minute. But while you're turning to those, I'll just uh, tell you that uh, Psalm 136 uh, isn't really, I didn't really reveal much about it by my title. I simply repeated the refrain, which is, his love endures forever. And by now, I think you would have got that. We read that 26 times this morning, so I think... Uh, that that doesn't really inform you much. But if you're wondering this morning what Psalm 136 is about, it's about gratefulness. It's about thankfulness. Um, by that, I mean the psalm was written in order to remind us of who God is and what he has done so that our hearts would overflow with thankfulness as we read it. And so that through that thankfulness, we would respond in praise. But if you had to boil it down to one word, I'd say Psalm 136 is about Thankfulness. Um, so often in life, the problem can be that we uh, get focused on the troubles of the now. And, and not without reason, by the way. I'm not minimizing any troubles that we have. I, I confess that my life, God has blessed me with a relatively simple, easy life. I have not been subject to a lot of personal tragedy um, for myself or even for a lot of, you know, from extended family or whatever. I've God's blessed me, and, and God is, un, is under no obligation to just make my life all roses. Maybe he has something in store for me in the future. I don't know. But I say that with a humble recognition that I don't recognize fully the, some of the things that you might be going through today. There might be a physical condition that you have that is beyond comprehension, that has been impossible for you to get your head wrapped around it, or maybe a tragedy that struck you or your family or a close friend, or maybe just a spiritual issue of a sin that you know you're struggling with that is just weighing you down, or the sin of others, maybe somebody in the family, maybe somebody you work with that's really making it difficult. Maybe there's financial struggles. I don't know. I know there's a ton of different things out there that can weigh us down, and many of which I personally have never experienced. But when we go through those, I also know that just in talking to people, that can be something that can consume you, that can consume our way of thinking, um, and sometimes that being consumed by it can help. It can drive us to our knees and can drive us to prayer. But if we're not careful, sometimes that being consumed by it can lead us in the opposite direction and lead, lead us to doubt, lead us to question God. We can become so um, stuck in a given situation or a given hardship 
that over time, as we don't see it resolved, as we see it just weigh down on us more and more, and as we're unable to see the end in it, that we begin to question God and begin to doubt his goodness. That can happen, right? Um, When we're so stuck in it that we begin to forget that God is even around and we begin to doubt his goodness to us. We begin to doubt whether he's ever going to come through. We begin to think, is this ever going to leave me? Am I ever going to be cured of this physical ailment? Are we ever going to get out of this financial mess? Is this person who's hurting me ever going to repent? Any of those things. And we can get to the place where we just say, is God even with me anymore? Because it's been on me so long that it really feels like God has left me. It feels like he's absent. It feels like he doesn't care. Well, the Bible tells us how we can get down to that way of thinking. When we have a problem that's in our heads, it's, it's bugging us for so long that we get down to that level of thinking where we begin to doubt God is even there. The Bible tells us the way we have traveled down that road is through forgetfulness forgetfulness. Um, When we forget what God has done in the past, that is when we begin to despair because we've pushed out of our minds all the things that God has done for us before, all the ways he has been faithful to, to us when we've experienced troubles in the past. And when we've pushed all that out of our minds, we've end up forgetting him and losing faith, maybe even disobeying him and turning away from God. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about forgetfulness and remembrance And it puts a great deal of emphasis on the importance of remembering what God has done. You can use those passages I asked you to turn to now. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to look at verses 10 and 12 if you're there. So keep your finger in Psalm 106 a while. But Deuteronomy 6, this is Moses um, warning the Israelites about the danger of forgetting the Lord when they entered the promised land. He said to them, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. And then he goes on in verse 11, vineyards you did not plant, all these wonderful things. Verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. One of Moses's final words You know, in this last book of Deuteronomy, before he is um, taken away from them and they enter the promised land, one of his main commands to them is don't forget when you get to this place of blessing, don't forget what God has done for you. But we know how the story goes, right? We know what we know that happens. They do forget God. And and so then that brings us to Psalm 106, which describes us uh, that that what happened there. So flip ahead. Psalm 106. I'd like us to look at verses 21 and 22. They didn't listen to what Moses had to say. Instead, it says they forgot the God who saved them. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles at the hand of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Okay, so it says they forgot all that God had done for them. And the Bible goes on to say what results came about because they forgot. So not only did they forget, but it says why Moses was warning against this from the very beginning. Look ahead to verses 24 and 25. Psalm 106, verses 24 and 25. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. Moses was right in warning them 
against the dangers of forgetfulness. We see what happens when they forgot. For according to Psalm 106, forgetting what God had done for them led to ingratitude. You see that if you just look back through those verses, it says then they despised the pleasant land, this land that was called the promised land, capital P, capital L, with the flowing milk and honey and all of that goodness. They despised it somehow led to their ingratitude. What was supposed to be a blessing, they ended up not giving credit to God for and they despised it. Next, we see that ingratitude leads to doubt. That is, they did not believe his promise. Look about that. Verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. Okay, because they didn't see how God had already blessed them. They didn't see any reason to believe that he would provide for them in the future. And then lastly, we see in these verses how doubt leads to disobedience. Verse 25. So they grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. In other words, when you don't really believe that God cares or hasn't done anything for you, then you no longer see a reason to obey him. And so what's interesting to me is when we look at these verses in Psalm 106, we see a chain linking forgetfulness to disobedience. Okay, forgetting leads to ingratitude. Ingratitude leads to doubt and doubt leads to disobedience. That's what happened. And we can see that that would happen to us if we follow down that path. And you can see why Moses warned so many times in Deuteronomy, do not forget what the Lord has done. Don't forget. Don't forget. It's because he knew that disobedience would result if they forgot. And he was right. And so over and over again in the Bible, we are commanded as well. Remember what the Lord has done. This wasn't just an isolated command that Moses told them in that specific time, in that specific place. It becomes a command for us today. Lest we fall into the same trap. Remember what the Lord has done. Just listen to some of these verses. You don't have to turn there. Listen to the repetition. Deuteronomy 15, 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. First Chronicles 16, 12. Remember the wonders he has done. His miracles, his judgments he has pronounced. Ecclesiastes 12, 6. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remembering what God has done for you is important. Why? Because if forgetting can lead to so many bad things, ingratitude, doubt, disobedience, all that, then we could also assume that remembering can lead us to righteousness, can lead us in the exact opposite path. And so it is. Remembrance doesn't lead to ingratitude, but rather it leads to thankfulness, the exact opposite, when we remember what God has done. And thankfulness doesn't lead to doubt, but rather to the opposite of that, to praise we don't begin to doubt God's promise. We, need, we, we praise him for what he has said. And when we praise and worship God truly from our heart, that leads to obedience. See the tremendous different paths that exist just based on whether you forget or if you remember. That's what Psalm 136 is all about. If you strip away all these refrains, and I know it's so easy to get caught up in it. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. You will find that what the psalmist is doing is calling us to remember who God really is and what he has done. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He created the heavens and the earth. He delivered his people at the Red Sea and and so on and on it goes. It lists all of these reasons why we should praise his name. And so the effect is that as we are reminded of more and more things that the Lord are, has done for us, our voices are supposed to get louder and louder. It's so hard not to read this passage 
like a robot, right? Even as we were reading it together, it's hard not to stand there and say, his love endures forever. His love endures forever, right? It's just hard. And, and, and in a way, I'm kind of doing this backwards. If I could have my preference, maybe I would throw the scripture at the end of the, the service because once you've understood the significance, maybe you can say it with a little bit more heart, with a little bit more faith. But it's hard for us to just say those words with that much enthusiasm, with that much faith. But the idea behind it is that as you are reminded, as I'm reading out loud these things that God has done in the past, as the psalmist has given them to us, that we would be reminded each and every one that, that yes, God has done these things. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. Yes, he's created us. Yes, he did rescue his people out from the Red Sea. He delivered his people from the wilderness. And so our voices would raise. Our voices would get louder and louder so that by the end we would end with the crescendo of his love endures forever. That's that's the point. That's where the psalm is supposed to lead us. And so that's the power of remembrance, of us remembering what God has done for us. That's what we're supposed to feel. That's the emphasis of this psalm. So my question to you this morning is, has God become something of a distant idea to you? Are you unsure of what he's going to do in your life in the future? Have you begun to doubt God's goodness? Have you been so stuck in a difficulty, in a trial, in a physical ailment, in, in um, just some sort of pain or suffering, whatever that may be for your life, that God has seemed distant, like he doesn't care, like he's not going to intervene, like he isn't looking out for you? If any of those things are true of you this morning... I'd ask you to look at these verses and let's together remind ourselves why God is such an amazing God and why he has worthy of being praised and how he has delivered his people in the past and how that gives us hope about how he can care for us and will care for us in the future. Okay, so that's what I'd like to do. Go through these verses with that in mind. And and I think if we set aside all of these, his love endures forever. I think we are left with the reasons why we should worship and have confidence in our God. OK, and, and so I will go through each of these individual verses um, by themselves. But first, since it is the theme, after all, I would like to tackle that phrase first and foremost. I'd like to spend a lot of time on verse one this morning, so I don't want you to get discouraged if I'm like halfway through my message and I'm still on verse one, don't worry. I'm not going to take us into the evening, though there is no evening service today. OK, just trust me on that. I'm not going to. It's going to be very heavily laden on the verse verse one, because that is the theme here. And then I'm going to kind of try and just briefly touch on the rest of the thoughts in this this book so I can get to the the application at the end. OK, but I think verse one is really important. So we are good to remember it in detail. OK, so now we can focus on on this the sheet. If you want to use that as your passage, it's fine. If you want to, if you have a different version of the Bible, you want to flip open. It's always good to have our Bibles open. Uh, either one will work. OK, so the first verse is kind of the title of this chapter. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It would serve almost as a kind of call to worship for the Old Testament Jews who would have heard this psalm read aloud. And as I was saying, when we did our scripture reading, this would have been read aloud. This is exactly how this was meant to be read. And, and it is a fitting beginning because it is a phrase that is repeated throughout Jewish history and throughout the Bible as a sort of creed. You know, if you think of the, the, the major creeds of the Old Testament, 
You can you can think of uh, Deuteronomy where it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I believe that's Deuteronomy 6, 4. OK, that's known as the Shema. That is um, viewed as the central statement of faith. If you are a Jew, OK, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. But if I had to put a close second right behind the Shema, I'd have to point your your, you know, your direction to, to this verse, um, because it appears so many times in the Bible. Listen to these verses as I read them. You don't have to turn there, um, but I'm just going to give you some examples of where this shows up. Second Chronicles, chapter five, verse 13. Uh, this is when Solomon has just built the temple and they're celebrating the trumpeteers and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet cymbals and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang. He is good. His love endures forever. Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse three, just two chapters later, Solomon offered the first offering in the temple and then fire came down from heaven and consumed it, lit up in the night. And when all the Israelites saw it, the verse says, saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying he is good. His love endures forever. Ezra chapter three, verse 11, when Zerubbabel and the people finished the foundation of the second temple. Okay, it says with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. Psalm 118 verses one through four. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then I'll just keep reading the verses because it says, let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. We could even go all the way to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah is about a lot of judgment. Understand a lot of the book is is speaking of that sort of thing. But there is hope. Towards the end of the book, there is a message of hope that God gives his people that after all this judgment and punishment for sin, God does promise that one day he will restore them. In verse 10, it says, the Lord says, you say about this place it is a desolate waste without men or animals. Yet in this town and the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom and the voices of those who bring thanks offerings for the house of the Lord, saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. So that's even going to be something that God says is going to be said at the end of time when God restores his people, creates a new heaven and new earth and reestablishes Jerusalem as his dwelling place, the words we're going to be saying in heaven is his, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. And do you see how many times this is repeated in the Bible? Over and over again, the Israelites were reminding themselves of this fact. Why? Because these are the most important facts about God's character that one could speak of. Think about it. Okay, think about what these two sentences are saying. It says first that God is good. And we, and we often miss how important that is because we say it so often. Our God is good. Our God is good. Yes, of course he's good. We know he's good. But think for a moment a little bit longer than you normally would. Okay? Think about what it would be like if our God were not good. Okay? If our God w- was not good, what would, be our wor- what would our world be like? 
Um, if God was not good to us, essentially all bets would be off, okay? There would be no hope at all in the world. Think about what it would be like, uh, for example, if Yahweh were like some of the Greek gods we read about in mythology. Um, gods who just sleep around with other gods, gods that get jealous with one another, gods that get into cosmic battles with each other, destroying the earth as they go. Sometimes they mistreat man. Sometimes man has to suffer because of their petty disputes. Can you imagine what it would be like if our God were not good? And if that were the case, then think about what that would mean for your life individually. If I lost my job, maybe God means it for my good, or maybe, just maybe, God's asleep. And maybe God doesn't even care if I have food to eat or not. Or, or what if I got cancer? Maybe it's so that I grow in faith, or maybe it's just because God's just messing with my life. Okay? If God were not good, everything would change. You would have no confidence in, in the events that are happening to you now or anything that would happen in the future because God could just do things at a whim. He might not, might not particularly care about you. He might not, might not particularly care about justice in the world. If God were not good, then everything would be changed. And it's not just that God is good toward us, but he's also good in the sense that he is holy. He is perfect. He is the very definition of what good is. That means he never does what is wrong. He upholds what is right. He is dazzling. The scriptures say of his holiness, he is brilliant. He is holy. And that makes him the highest thing that we could ever worship. So there's really so much bound up in this one word, good, when it says our God is good. The Lord is good. The second thing that this verse says about God is that his love endures forever. And I think this is even more significant because it kind of piggybacks on the first idea, because as we can see, it's repeated 26 times in this entire psalm that we just read. Therefore, I'd say, just taking a guess, that's probably important for us to understand. What does it mean? Well, actually, the word for love in Hebrew is, is a very rich term. It's much broader than our English word love would suggest. The Hebrew word is Hesed, and it's actually a difficult word to, word to translate. If you have a different version of the Bible today, and if you have it open, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For none of the major versions of the Bible translate this verse the same. So as I was going through and just looking up different versions of the Bible, just listen to the way each of these versions choose to translate this refrain that we repeated this morning. NIV, we know how that goes. You have it. It says his love endures forever. But then there's the New American Standard for his loving kindness is everlasting. If you have an English Standard Bible, an ESV, um, it says for his steadfast love endures forever. King James, for his mercy endureth forever. New Living Translation. For his faithful love endures forever. So we have all these options. We have love. We have loving kindness, steadfast love, mercy, faithful love. Apparently, this is a difficult word to translate. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many additions, so many different ways of going about it. Right. There must be something that these translators were struggling with. 
really trying to focus in on what this word meant. Which is it? That's the question we're probably all wondering. So, Pastor Dave, which one should I choose? What does it really mean? Well, here, what I want you to understand is it's more than just love as we think about it. Love has become a meaningless word in, in our culture. We often think, especially around Valentine's Day, of, of love as this mushy kind of thing. Um, you know, I love you. I love my cat. I love my dog. I love the, the Phillies. I love the Eagles. Um, if you're a teenager, I love Justin Bieber. Um, if you don't know who that is, don't worry. You're not missing out on anything. Um, but so love could mean any of these things. You know what I mean? I love that color carpet. Uh, it, it, just does, it doesn't communicate anything because it could be such a wide range of meaning and it could be fleeting. So we speak of falling out of love with somebody. Okay, so in one moment I'm in love with somebody, the next moment I'm not. Is that what this is talking about? Like God loves me like I love Justin Bieber? Okay, or like I love this carpet or, you know, like somebody fell out of love with somebody else? Is that what this is saying? I hope you can see that that's not. Um, Love is much more broad than that. When this verse says his love endures forever. It's not a kind of love that God could somehow fall out of. Has this idea of loyalty of faithfulness, covenant faithfulness, you could say. Though that doesn't really flow very well poetically. But, but if you think about it in an accurate sense, covenant faithfulness is a good way to think of it. Psalm 106, verse 45. Here's another instance of this word hesed, and you can see how it's used. It says, For Israel's sake God remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. See how it connects those two ideas? He remembered his covenant... And so out of his great love, he relented. It's not just because, you know, Israel was such a great nation and they were so obedient and so awesome that God was like, yeah, well, I, I have to respond to them. I got to forgive them. After all, I mean, they're perfect, right? No, they're, they're awful. They continually rebel against him. And it wouldn't otherwise be in our radar to think of them as somebody who should be forgiven. But God says he remembers his covenant. And because of that commitment that he made long ago, he's going to forgive them, even though they don't deserve it. God is loyal. God is faithful to the words that he has promised. So you have this idea of covenant loyalty. But there's more than just that going on here. There's there's a second idea of, of grace or undeserved favor bound up in this word for love. Genesis 24, verses 26 through 27, also uses this word hesed. And Abraham, uh, in that passage, sends his servant to look for a wife for his son Isaac. And so the servant is sent out. He's not sure if he's going to be successful. He prays about it and asks for God to show him a sign to help him know if he's found this correct wife. And, and he does. It says, then the man, after he had found Rebekah, bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness, as that passage translates it, um, this kindness and faithfulness to my master. Okay, So God has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. Now we know it doesn't just mean faithfulness there, as I just said, because faithfulness is listed as a separate word. So there must be another idea going on. And that's this idea of kindness. It was a gift that God provided this wife for Isaac. He didn't have to. It wasn't something that was required, but he gave it to him as, as a blessing. It was a blessing, a gift, grace being shown to him. So when it says his love endures forever, that means he's constantly, throughout all generations, giving us things beyond what we really need. He's that loving. He doesn't just provide for our needs. He goes above and beyond that. And that's true forever. 
But there's more. There's more. Okay, so we have covenant faithfulness. We have blessing. And and there's something more. Okay, there's also mercy, mercy and forgiveness. Listen to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. God passed in front of Moses. Okay, This is on Mount Sinai. Moses asked to see his glory. He said, you can see my back. And, and here's where it is. Uh, he's not allowed to see his full glory. Otherwise, he would die. But God grants his request. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. This word has said and faithfulness maintaining his love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now, again, that word has said can't just mean faithfulness because faithfulness is listed as a separate word. So it wouldn't make sense to say faithfulness and faithfulness. Something else must be meant. What is it? Well, you can see that surrounding this word are, are other phrases of mercy. It says the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. That's what comes before those words. And then right after it says, maintaining his love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So I think an accurate way to translate this would be the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and faithfulness, abounding in forgiveness. So when we see in this refrain, his love endures forever, it's not just some kind of mushy, temporary, fleeting love that's being talked about. It's talking about a covenant loyalty a blessing, a consistent pattern of blessing and mercy and forgiveness that God shows to all generations. All that, I think, is bound up in this one phrase, his love endures forever. And that's why I think you, it was said so many times throughout Israel's history because it was such a succinct yet profound way of saying who God is and what he's about and how he acts throughout history and how he will continue to act in history. His character endures forever. Now, with that being said, let's get to the rest of the text, right? Okay, so that was verse one. As I promised, we will not go that slow through the rest of the verses, but that was foundational for you to understand the rest. So I needed to spend all that time on that one word. Okay, so let's go on. Um, That creed should excite us, by the way. Okay, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It should excite us. In theory, okay, even though it should excite us, it might be hard for you to repeat that and really get pumped up about it, to jump up and say, yes, the Lord is good. His love endures forever. Might be harder to generate in our hearts just by saying it. We know how our own hearts work, even though we can say this, even though we could repeat the psalm out loud and do another responsive reading and say it until we're blue in the face. Somehow we still have the ability to not internalize that fact. So I think this psalm is meant to remedy that problem, okay? If we have a hard time saying that and really meaning it, this psalm is designed to stir up in our minds why we should be saying that refrain and to make that refrain more meaningful. So in case you're not able to say those words with a lot of faith and with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of belief and praise to God, let's go through these verses and we'll see why God is so worthy to be praised. Now, you can divide this up into several sections, by the way. If you want to, as we're going through, I'll give you some lines to draw. And I recognize that the verses are kind of small. You need like a microscope to to be able to see them. That wasn't my intention. That's my fault, though. I didn't print them out right. But if you want to draw a line right after verse 4, where it says, To him who alone does great wonders. Okay? 
there's going to be sections, different categories of reasons why we should praise God. And the first one is contained in verses one through four. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good His love endures forever. And I'm just going to strip away the refrains for a moment. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords to him alone who does great wonders. So altogether, I think these verses are meant to show us God's uniqueness. The first reason we're to praise God is because of who he is. And that's what these verses are about. They describe who he is. The rest of the verses are going to go on to describe what he has done for us. These first four are about who he is. And I think even more than just saying who he is, they are very focused in their intent in pointing us to the fact that God is unique. God is superior above all other things. Just consider the words that are spoken. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. Do you know that since the beginning of recorded history, uh, historians have cataloged over 2,870 unique gods from cultures and different religions? There are just that many that have ever been conceived of, thought of, written down on paper, whatever, crafted into an idol. That many gods have been created by man. And what this verse is saying is, and this would have made a lot more sense and just been much more easily recognizable um, back in Old Testament times, is that even if you were to take all of these idols, which were very prevalent in Israel's day, and line them up, all 2,000 of them, Yahweh would stand as superior to every single one. It doesn't matter what kind of story is behind each idol, what kind of characteristics they have, God is superior to any other God that has ever been created by man. God demonstrated his superiority over other gods throughout the Old Testament. You can think of 1 Samuel 5, um, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken from the, from the Israelites and taken to the Philistine lands. They brought and set it into the temple of, of Dagon. And, and in the morning, when they went to check up on it, this statue had fallen on his face. And, and that wasn't the, the only time that happened. When they checked again, it had fallen on its face again, even after they set it up, and his hands and his face broke off. That was God at work, showing that this God, or supposed God that they tried to worship, was nothing at all but a sculpture. Or you can think of 1 Kings 18. This is even more familiar to us, I think. God showed that he was real, while Baal was nothing more than an imagination in this contest at Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Maybe you're familiar with that story. Elijah had uh, an altar set up with, with an offering uh, placed on top of it, and, and Baal's priest did the same. And, and the contest was to be that whoever's God could light this thing up and consume this offering, he would be shown to be the true God. Just in case anybody thought there was any kind of trickery on Elijah's part, he had them dump buckets and buckets of water on this offering so that by no means could somebody just light a match and, and have it go up that way. But nevertheless, even though there was water that just overflowed and went into the trenches below it, as soon as Elijah prayed to the Lord, fire came down from heaven and consumed it. While all the rest of the day, the prophets of Baal were dancing around their altar, trying to do all sorts of things, incantations, prayers, whatever they could think of. They even started to cut themselves to get their gods to respond. Nothing happened. Why? Because these gods are an imagination. They don't exist. God is superior to all of these gods. God is the God of gods. And he's the Lord of lords as well. He is superior to any king that exists on earth. 
Even if you could think of some great ruler in the past who had mighty accomplishments, won many battles, was a person of noble character, I guarantee you he was a sinner or she was a sinner just like you or I. No matter what king you could think of, they would have been flawed. God is superior to all lords or presidents or kings or anybody that we could think of today. And you can see that even if you just look in our current world situation. Look at the rulers that exist in the nations today. Many of them are corrupt. They look out only for their own interests. They do not care about justice. Some are even filled with hatred for others. Think about the events that just unfolded in Egypt, how there was this huge call for President um, Mubarak to step down, and and he finally did by the end of this week. Um, But even then, there's concerns about who's going to take his place. Are they going to be as corrupt as, as he was? Are other people who are going to step in, look out for their own interests? And give themselves more wealth, more power. It's a problem that's throughout the world. And and God is the Lord of Lords. Not only is he superior to all of them, but all of the kings of the earth answer to him. And one day we'll have to fully answer to him. He is the Lord of Lords. He alone does great wonders. We'll see in just a moment um, what these wonders are. But I want you to focus on the word alone. If you want to mark up your your uh, handout, you can circle the word alone. It's just another word that indicates God's uniqueness, his superiority. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And he alone does wonders. Nobody else can. Nobody else can perform the great and amazing feats and acts and miracles that God can produce. And we'll see that played out. The rest of this passage is going to be devoted to explaining what those wonders are. So, um, it's going to remind us now of what things God has accomplished. Okay? It's going to first start now with creation. If you want to draw a line after verse 9 now, it says the moon and the stars to govern the night. So you have verses 5 through 9. This is our next section. It deals with creation. Okay? Um, it says, Who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon by and the stars by night. If you've ever doubted if God is powerful, if he's able to rescue you, if he's able to come and intervene, look in the heavens. That's what these verses are telling us. Have you ever taken a moment just to stare up into the night sky, maybe get out of the city for a moment where there's so many lights that maybe the sky is obscured a little bit, to get out in the countryside and just look up some night at the stars? Um, it's amazing. God says, look up at the stars. I've created it all and be reminded of how good I am. Maybe some of you remember it was just a few months ago that Pastor um, had us see that DVD by Louis Giglio um, called How Great Is Our God. If you were here for that evening service when that was presented and there were some just tremendous facts that um, Giglio gave about the universe and how big and how majestic our God is. Um, He was talking about stars like Betelgeuse, who, if you know about that that star, that's that red dot in the Orion constellation. And though it appears as just a a tiny um, little dot in space, it's over 800 million miles in diameter, a figure we can't even comprehend several times, hundreds of times bigger than our sun. And not only that, but when you're looking at Betelgeuse, it's over 427 light years away. Okay, that means the light you're looking at, that star you're looking at, uh, that's the light it sent 427 years ago. And it's only just now getting to us. 
That's how immense the universe is. That's how big. Every, and, and that doesn't even begin to describe it about how many millions of light years you could travel out to to get to the stars that we can see with telescopes. And that's just what we can see. We don't know the full extent of the universe, but we know it's huge. It would take lifetimes upon lifetimes, an incredible amount of time, even if we were traveling at the speed of light to ever get to the ends of creation. That's how huge God is. That's how amazing his creation is. And if we ever wonder, is God powerful enough to help us out in a time of need? These verses say, remember the heavens. Remember how I placed the sun at the right position in space so that you the earth isn't close enough to burn up yet far enough to be an, a, a rock of ice. That we're in that sweet spot, that perfect distance for the sun to provide warmth and, and the ability for plants to grow and, and to give us light so that we can go about our days and, and accomplish work for him. All of these things remind us of God's power and God's care. After that, we can go on with the text and see how God has worked in other areas of history. It goes on to describe the Exodus. So you could draw a line after verse 15. Okay, so verses 10 through 15 describe how God worked in the Exodus. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel from out among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it and Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. If you're wondering if God loves you, God says, remember the Exodus, because here we we have the most classic example of God caring for the needs of his people. His people cried out to him. They were in bondage and slavery and God rescued them. He was not deaf to their cries. He was not unable to act. He delivered them. And that's what we're to see. And then it goes on in verses 16 through 22. It continues the story after they were out uh, and had gone through the Red Sea and God delivered them from their enemies by having them washed away in the Red Sea. He continued to guide them through the wilderness to him who led his people through the wilderness. Verse 16 to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites and Og, king of Bashan and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. We not, might not know who Sihon and Og are. They were two mighty kings who stood in Israel's way when they were trying to reach the promised land. And God overcame them. So the idea behind all this is if there's any kind of thing that seems too great, too immovable to ever um, get out of, out of your life, any kind of trouble that doesn't seem to be going away or anything that doesn't seem to be uh, removable by human standards, whether that's a physical pain or whether that's suffering that's coming upon you in one form or another. This verse is telling us that God is able to remove the biggest of obstacles, the strongest of kings, and he's faithful. There's another lesson in these verses about longevity. He led his people through the wilderness, which was a period of over 40 years. I think one thing that the psalmist is trying to get us to see is if you are going through something that feels like it has been lasting a long time. Remember the wilderness. God led them for 40 years. And certainly at the end of that time, or in the middle of that time, the Israelites could have been thinking, has God forgotten us? It's been 20 years. It's been 30 years. Nothing's happened. We haven't reached the promised land. God remembered them. And even if you feel like you're in the midst of something that won't end, I ask you to remember that God has remembered you. He has not forgotten about you. He fulfills his promises. 
The last verses are just summaries. Um, he remembered us in, in our low estate, verse 23, and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Okay, not talking about a specific example, but just general things that have been true throughout time. And I think the author of the psalm is not meaning for us to stop here. He named the Exodus. He named the wilderness wanderings. But we could continue to go on and on with example after example of Israel's history where God was faithful to them. And this is the intent of the psalm. If you're wondering if God is faithful to you or faithful to his people, remember everything that he has done in the past. Remember the Exodus, how he brought his people out from Egypt. He remembered them. He cared for them. They were God's people. You are one of his children, too. He is not going to forget you. He led his people through the wilderness for 40 years. He remembered his his children in their lowest state. Verse 23 says, and we could think of example after example of that. He remembered Abraham while he was old and without a son. He remembered Joseph in his lowest state when he was in prison. He remembered the Israelites in the wilderness. He remembered David, who was least among his brothers. He remembered David later in life when he was exiled and, and was being chased by Saul and had no inheritance of his own. He didn't have a palace, didn't have anything but a few men with him. God remembered him in his lowest state. He remembered Naomi and Ruth when Naomi's sons had died and, and, and Ruth's husband had died and they were left without anything. He remembered them in their lowest state. He remembered Hezekiah when he was besieged by Assyria, surrounded from all sides. It looked like he was done for. God remembered him in his lowest state. God freed his people from their enemies, it says in verse 24. He rescued Israel from Egypt. He delivered David from the Philistines. He delivered Gideon from the Midianites. He saved Hezekiah from the Assyrians. He delivered Zerubbabel from those who wanted to frustrate his work. He delivered Elijah from Jezebel. He delivered David from Saul. God provided food for his people, it says in verse 25. He gave manna to his people in the wilderness. He gave water to Abraham's concubine Hagar and her son Ishmael. He gave food to Elijah through ravens. He provided grain for the Israelites and Egyptians when Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh. He provided food for the widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings when Elijah visited her. And he provided food in Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000. On and on I could go. Do you see the point? God is faithful to his people. His love, his commitment to you, his mercy, his blessing that goes beyond what we even need extends forever. And I know that he has been good to us as a church and to people in this congregation. We could fill in this psalm with examples of things that God has done in our own life. God has spared infants, babies. Their lives have been spared. We could say his love endures forever. We could say that God has spared many people and enabled people to go through countless surgeries just in the course of 365 days in the life of this church. And many of those people are doing well. Some people were involved in horrible accidents this past year. And you know and I know that they have been restored to health. Many people have traveled abroad in our congregation to adopt children. And by God's mercy, they were successful. Some people even died in this past year. But whatever the circumstance, God has caused those individuals to end from their suffering. And now we know that they're at peace in God's glorious presence. 
for whatever has happened to us individually in this congregation this year. We can end each of those statements by saying his love endures forever. He has enabled all these things to happen by his love and his care for us. So if you ever lose confidence in the God of this universe, I'd ask that you just remember. Remember all of the things that he has done. Read your Bible. Remember what he has done for his people. And remember what he has done in your own life. We serve a good and a loving God. And so the last verse says, Give thanks to the Lord of heaven. Why? Because his love endures forever. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are from everlasting and will be to everlasting. We thank you, God, that you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, that you never change, that your goodness extends to all generation, that your faithfulness and love and care and mercy is the same through all generations. And God, if there's ever a time where we've forgotten your goodness, help us to remember to be reminded of these great and wonderful acts that you have accomplished through history and in our own lives as well. And when we are reminded of these things, God, help us to be filled with praise and thankfulness, to be able to say with our hearts, your love endures forever. Amen.